namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Good morning. Today is Tuesday, September 10th, and today is also Vamandwadasi. For that reason, we'll read from, we'll skip ahead and we'll read from Canto 8. Today's text is chapter 18, text 5. Shronayam Shravanadvadashyam Muhurte Vijiti Prabhu Sarva nakshatra taradhyas Chakru stajjanma dakshinam Shranayam shravana dvadashyam Muhurte vijiti prabhu Sarva nakshatra taradhyas Chakru Stajjanma Dakshinam. Shranayam Shravanad Vadasham. Muhurte Vijiti Prabhu. Sarva nakshatra taradhyasa Chakrusha janma dakshinam Shranayam When the moon was situated in the Shravana lunar mansion Shravana Vadasham On the twelfth lunar day of the bright fortnight in the month of Bhadra, the day famous as Shravana Dwadasi. Muhurte, in the auspicious moment, Abhijiti, in the first portion of the Shravan Lunar Mansion, known as Abhijit, Sarve, all, nakshatra, stars, tara, planets, adya, beginning with the sun, and followed by the other planets. Chakru, made, tatjanma, the birthday of the Lord, Dakshinam, very munificent. Translation by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. On the day of Shravandwadasi, the twelfth day of the bright fortnight in the month of Bhadra, when the moon came into the lunar mansion Shravana, at the auspicious moment of Abhijit, the Lord appeared in this universe. Considering the Lord's appearance very auspicious, all the stars and planets, from the sun to Saturn, were munificently charitable. Purport. Srila Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur, an expert astrologer, explains the word nakshatra taradya. The word nakshatra means the stars. The word tara in this context refers to the planets. And adya means the first one specifically mentioned. Among the planets, the first is Surya, the sun, not the moon. Therefore, according to the Vedic version, the modern astronomer's proposition that the moon is the near, is nearest to the earth should not be accepted. The chronological order in which people all refer the world, all over the world refer to the days of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, corresponds to the Vedic order of the planets. 
And this circumstantiates the Vedic version. Apart from this, when the Lord appeared, the planets and stars became situated very auspiciously, according to astrological calculations, to celebrate the birth of the Lord. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Sapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha Kalpa Tarubyasha Kripa Sindhubeyavicha Patitanam Pavanevio Vaishnavevio Namonamaham. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasadi Gaurabhaktavrindam. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit. Shivas Thakur and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Thank you. So, as I mentioned before, today is Vaman Dwadasi. It's the appearance day of Lord Vaman, the dwarf Brahmana incarnation of Vishnu. So yesterday we... Um, honored Ekadasi, and we fasted till noon for today, so today we can feast. Um, and we have until 11.18, I think it is, to break our fast. So when we're done with class, we can have a big feast and break our class, and break our fast from yesterday. So in Bhagavad Gita, chapter 4, text 8, Krishna says, In order to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants, as well as to reestablish the principles of religion, I advent myself millennium after millennium. So here we're looking at the pastimes of Krishna appearing as Lord Vamandev. And he did both in this incarnation. He annihilated the miscreants and he delivered the pious. So at this time in history, there's a major battle going on between the demigods and the demons. And it's a long history, but we'll cut to the part that's relevant to us for today. Um, In the last few chapters, if we're reading Canto 8, we learn about the feud between Bali Maharaj and Indra, King Indra, who's the king of the heavens. Um, and Bali Maharaj is the king of all the demons. He's the leader of the demoniac army. And he's also the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj. So even though he's the demon leader, he's very pious in his heart. He's a pure devotee of Krishna. So in this feud with Indra, he takes over Indra Loka and dethrones Indra, and all the demigods are scattered, and they're very... um, distressed and distraught, and so they pray, and Lord Vishnu agrees to appear and take birth um, in the womb of Mother Aditi. So let's read, so he takes birth, in the, he appears from in the womb of Mother Aditi, and we'll read some of his appearance as, um, as it's described in Canto 8. His four hands were decorated with a conch shell, club, lotus, and disc. He was dressed in yellow garments, and his eyes appeared like the petals of a blooming lotus. And this is how he appeared. This is how he was born. So they're not describing him later in life. This is how he appeared from the womb. The body of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, blackish in complexion, was free from all inebriates. His lotus face, decorated with earrings resembling sharks, appeared very beautiful. On his bosom was the mark of the Srivatsa. He wore bangles on his wrists, armlets on his arms, a helmet on his head, a belt on his waist, a sacred thread across his chest, and ankle bells decorating his lotus feet. 
An uncommonly beautiful garland of flowers decorated his bosom. And because the flowers were extremely fragrant, a large group of bees making their natural humming sounds invaded them for honey. When the Lord appeared wearing the kasuba gem on his neck, his effulgence vanquished the darkness in the home of Prajapati Kashyap. At that time, there was happiness in all directions, in the reservoirs of waters like rivers and oceans, and in the core of everyone's heart. The various seasons displayed their respective qualities, and all living entities in the upper planetary system, in outer space, and on the surface of the earth were jubilant. The demigods, the cows, the brahmanas, and the hills and mountains were all filled with joy. Conch shells, kettle drums, drums, panavas, and anakas vibrated in concert. The sound of these and various other instruments were tumultuous. Being very pleased, the celestial dancing girls, the apsaras, danced in jubilation. The best of the Gandharvas sang songs. And the great sages, demigods, manus, pitas, and fire gods offered prayers to satisfy the Lord. The Siddhas, Vidyadharas, Kimpurusas, Kinaras, Charanas, Yakshas, Rakshasas, Suparnas, the best of the serpents, and the followers of demigods all showered flowers on Aditi's residence, covered the entire house while glorifying and praising the Lord and dancing. So the Lord appeared in his original form with ornaments and weapons in his hands. Although this ever-existing form is not visible in the material world, he nonetheless appeared in this form. Then in the presence of his father and mother, he assumed the form of Vamana, a Brahmana dwarf, a Brahmachari, just like a theatrical actor. This is quite a description. You can feel the elation and the happiness that pervades, and it, you kind of get a glimpse of that when you're reading that and how it Happiness touches the core of the heart when we're in the Lord's presence. And we are so fortunate that we get to have that every day with Radha Kalachanji. And unfortunately, our heart is so covered that we don't feel that joy. But if we open our hearts, then we can feel that joy. So, cut to Bali Maharaj was holding a sacrificial ceremony. Lord Vaman Dev went there, and as he entered the arena, because of Amanadev's bright effulgence, the priests, along with Bali Maharaj and all the members of the assembly, were robbed of their splendor. Thus they began to ask one another whether the sun god himself, Sanat Kumar, and the fire god had personally come to see the sacrificial ceremony. Although appearing as a Brahmin boy, his bright, brilliant effulgence diminished the brilliance of all the priests and their disciples who thus stood from their seats and welcomed the Lord properly by offering obeisances. So King Bali was very happy to see Vamandev. He was jubilant, as it's described. Even though he's the leader of the demons, he's still, at the heart, a devotee of Krishna, and he's the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj, who we all know the story of, and he's, Prahlad Maharaj is a very exalted devotee of Krishna. So King Bali always upheld religious principles. As a Kshatriya, he knew his duty was to offer charity to a Brahmana. So when he saw Vamandev, he was very happy to have to be able to serve a Brahmin during his great sacrifice that he was doing for conquering the worlds. Apparently Kshatriyas do that when they conquer. They do a big sacrifice in gratitude. So he first washed Vamandev's lotus feet. And then he offered the brahmana, he said, you know, whatever you want, you may take from me. So Lord Vamandev, he asked for three paces of land. Remember, he's a dwarf, so he said, of my paces, of my steps. And Lord Bali, I mean, King Bali looked at him and said, you know, you can ask for so many things. You're so small, three paces of land isn't going to be much. Surely you can ask for more. And um, Lord Vamandev said, no, that's all I need. It's three paces of land. You know, Brahman shouldn't take more than what he needs. Um, if he does, then he can. He runs the risk of engaging in sense gratification. So he decided, like, all he needed was three paces of land. But 
King Bali's guru, spiritual teacher, was sitting there, and he said he realized that this is a trick. That Lord Vamandev is actually Lord Krishna dressed as a brahmana, and this is a trick to help gain back all the all his land and conquer and Indraloka for King Indra and all the demigods. So he warns him. He says, this person falsely appearing as a brahmachari is actually the supreme personality of Godhead. Hari, who has come in this form to take away all of your land, wealth, beauty, power, fame, and education. After taking everything from you, he will deliver it to Indra, your enemy. And he makes the following points. After giving everything to Lord Vishnu, you will have no means of livelihood. Learned scholars do not praise that charity which endangers one's own livelihood. Charity, sacrifice, austerity, and fruitive activities are possible for one who is competent to earn his livelihood properly. They are not possible for one who cannot maintain himself. To be without money is not very satisfactory. For in that position, one cannot fulfill one's desires. When one gives charity to a poor man or beggar, one remains unfulfilled in self-realization and sense gratification. And he's now saying that even though you've agreed to give him three paces of land, you don't have to uphold that agreement. And this is why. It's not a falsehood in earning one's livelihood when one's life is in danger in protecting cows and in Brahminical culture, in protecting Brahminical culture, and in protecting a person from an enemy's hand, falsity is never condemned. He's saying that these are the times that it's okay to lie, like if you're dealing with an enemy or if it's for your own protection, if it's going to cause harm. So after deliberating what his guru said to him, Bali Maharaj responds with the following counterpoints. He says, as the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj, how can I break a promise in the name of greed and behave like an ordinary cheater? And Bali Maharaj here is saying, I'm a king, and I'm to uphold the religious principles, uphold the laws of Dharma. I can't, you know, therefore lie and take back my word just like an ordinary cheater. He says, My fear isn't hell, poverty, an ocean of distress, or fall down from my position, or even death itself. My fear is cheating a brahmana. So all those things are pretty terrifying, right? Hell, poverty, distress, falling down from your position, whatever that might be, or even death. But for Bali Maharaj, the greatest fear was to cheat a brahmana. That's very profound. He goes on to say, At the time of death, one is separated by his worldly possessions and material opulences, so why not give it in charity now to the brahmana? And he's making the point, in due course of time, everything is taken away. The only thing that remains is one's reputation. He talks about his ancestors, right? Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha. They had so many things, but at the time of death, they weren't able to take any of it with them. The only thing that remained was their reputation. So he's saying that I have to uphold my reputation. It's the most important thing. And then he says, by giving charity, a benevolent and merciful person undoubtedly becomes even more auspicious, especially when he gives charity to a brahmana. So he agrees, once again, to give those three paces of land. And we all know what happens now, right? Lord Vamanadev then expands. He starts to grow, and he grows, and he becomes his universal form and you can see the entire universe in his body. And it goes into a detailed description, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but with his first step, he covered the entire surface of the earth, the sky with his body, and in all directions with his arms. And with his second step, he covered all of the entire planets, heavenly planets. And not even a spot remained for his third step. So then he says to Lord Vamandev turns to King Bali and he says, where am I going to put my third step? There is no place for me to put my third step. You promised me three steps. Therefore, you didn't uphold your promise. And King Bali was immediately arrested and bound with the ropes 
of Varuna by Garuda. At this time, also, some of the, his demon friends appeared and were trying to free him. And, you know, he saw that a few of them were being killed. So he ordered them to stop fighting that this is the way things are supposed to happen. And he was very fixed in his determination. He said, O best personality of Godhead, most worshipable for all the demigods, if you think that my promise has become false, I shall certainly rectify matters to make it truthful. I cannot allow my promise to be false. Please, therefore, place your third lotus footstep on my head. He says, what is the use of the material body which automatically leaves its owner at the end of life? He also says, only by providence have I been forcibly brought under your lotus feet and deprived of all my opulence. Because of the illusion created by temporary opulence, people in general who live under material conditions facing accidental death at every moment do not understand that this life is temporary. Only by providence have I been saved from that condition. So here we see Bali Maharaj has already offered everything. He's given him all his lands, all his possessions, and you think he has nothing left to give. But he says, no, I have something to give you. I have my life to give you. So he says, take my life. Because what is it worth? It's not worth anything if it's not offered to God, if it's not offered to Krishna. The Supreme Lord responded, although bereft of his riches, fallen from his original position, defeated and arrested by his enemies, rebuked and deserted by his relatives and friends, although suffering the pain of being bound and although rebuked, and cursed by his spiritual master, Bali Maharaj, being fixed in his vow, did not give up his truthfulness. It was certainly with pretension that I spoke about religious principles, but he did not give up religious principles, for he is true to his word. Because of his great tolerance, I have given him a place not obtainable even by the demigods. He will become king of the heavenly planets during the period of Manu, known as Sarvarni. Until Bali Maharaj achieves the position of king of heaven, he shall live on the planet Sutala, which was made by Vishvakarma, according to my order. Because it is especially protected by me, it is free from mental and bodily miseries, fatigue, dizziness, defeat, and all other disturbances. Bali Maharaj, you may now go live there peacefully. This is a really wonderful story with so many great lessons. And I focused in on the charity lesson here. There is a whole discourse on, you know, being attachment and material body and all such stuff. But I kind of focused our attention to the act of charity. So... Here we see Bali Maharaj agreed to give in charity, even though he knew it would cost him everything. And we see that in return, Krishna, God, gave him so much more in return. He gave him peace, um, freedom from distress. You know, he gave him a whole planet in which he can live out his life peacefully with his family. So you wouldn't have to worry about fighting or conquering lands or you know, he's, he can live the rest of his life peacefully. We can be inspired to give, even if it seems like we can't afford it, or we're overextending ourselves, or it's, it's too much, right? I mean, here, Bali gave everything, his entire, whatever he conquered, his entire land, and his life. So, what we learn is that when we are really um, ready to sacrifice, and we give willingly with an open heart, God reciprocates tenfold. Like He gives back so much more than we give. So we can have faith that Krishna will provide if we extend ourselves to give in charity to the proper cause. And there are ways to give in charity that we have to be aware of, right? In the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about charity that can be done in the mode of goodness, in the mode of passion, in the mode of ignorance. So if we look at Bhagavad Gita 17.20, talks about charity in the mode of goodness. It says, That gift which is given out of duty at the proper time and place to a worthy person and without expectation of return is considered to be charity in the mode of goodness. And then charity in the mode of passion 
Charity performed with the expectation of some return or with a desire for fruit of results or in a grudging mood is said to be charity in the mode of passion. And charity in the mode of ignorance is performed at an improper place and time and given to unworthy persons without respect and with contempt. And in a previous class, we discussed the three modes of material nature, and we discussed that the transcendental mode is even higher than the mode of goodness. So there's even a transcendental mode of giving and charity. And we learn that when we read Bhagavad Gita 9.27, Krishna says, O son of Kunti, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away, as well as all austerities that you may perform, should be done as an offering unto me. So here Krishna is saying that everything that you give should be done as an offering to him. So even charity should be done as an offering to him. So when we're giving in charity, we should be conscious that how is this an offering to Krishna? How is it benefiting Krishna? How is it benefiting his devotees? We can further learn how we can give in charity in um, Srila Prabhupada's purport of Bhagavad Gita, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. He says, as far as charity is concerned, one should give 50% of his earnings to some good cause. Now, 50% is a lot. So if you, you know, most people say 10% is a good amount to tithe. So I, you know, anywhere between 10 to 50%, whatever you're comfortable with is acceptable. And what is a good cause? It is that which is conducted in terms of Krishna consciousness. That is not only a good cause, but it is the best cause. Because Krishna is good, his cause is also good. Thus, charity should be given to a person who is engaged in Krishna consciousness. According to Vedic literature, it is enjoined that charity should be given to the brahmanas. Why? Because they are engaged in higher cultivation of spiritual knowledge. A brahmana is supposed to devote his whole life to understanding Brahman. A brahmajana is one who knows Brahman. He is called brahmana. Thus, charity is offered to the brahmanas because they are, since they are always engaged in higher spiritual service, they have no time to earn their livelihood. In the Vedic literature, charity is also to be awarded to the renouncer of life, the sannyasi. The sannyasis beg from door to door, not for money, but for missionary purposes. The system is that they go from door to door to awaken the householders from the slumber of ignorance. Because the householders are engaged in family affairs and have forgotten their actual purpose in life awakening, in life awakening their Krishna consciousness, it is the business of the sannyasis to go as beggars to the householders and encourage them to be Krishna conscious. As it is said in the Vedas, one should awake and achieve what is due to him, due him in this life, human form of life. This knowledge and method is distributed by the sannyasis. Hence, charity is to be given to the renouncer of life, to the brahmanas, and similar good causes, not to any whimsical cause. So the important concept is to give, right? If I open up my hand, you know, I can freely give, but God can freely put, right? So in the verses, if we read through the entire verses of the Canto 8, they talk about, Really, all of Bali Maharaj's wealth came from Krishna. It's all, it all belongs to Krishna in the first place. So if we open up our hands, Krishna is free to put whatever wealth he deems necessary for us in our hand, and he's also free to take. And in that mood, we experience freedom in that faith and trust in God that we will be taken care of. Right. So it kind of frees us from that worry and anxiety Oh my God, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to feed, you know, my family, eat, or keep a roof over my head? If we realize that Krishna will provide all of that if we just do for him. Um, but if we have our hand closed, right, in that miserly way, we close our hands and we refuse to give, but nothing can come in either. In order to make space for something wonderful, we have to give we have to get rid of things that are keeping that wonderful stuff from coming to us and it's not just about giving money 
It can be your time. It can be your energy. It can be your service. Right? At the end, when Bali Marge had nothing to give, he said, take my life. Right? I mean, if you think about it, the third footstep on the head of Bali, right? Krishna is in this universal form. He's a huge, unimaginable giant. And he's saying, you know, put it on my head. Well, that's surely going to crush him. He's he's willing to give his life for, in charity. So taking that example, I mean, we can just do some little thing, right? Just a little service. I know from personal example, last year when I was working really hard, I um, felt like I had no time and I had no energy. I just was working long hours um, and I was really getting tired and I and I was thinking what should I do and all of a sudden like I was already dressing the deities Sunday night Monday night and Tuesday morning and all of a sudden I had this opportunity to dress on Thursday mornings as well and I thought can I do it can you know and so I just started to dress Thursday mornings and my whole week changed just by one more day of service I felt like I had so much more energy. I was getting so much from that just, you know, couple of hours spent on the altar that I realized just giving a little bit more of myself, I was gaining so much more. Um, I'm not probably explaining it very well either, but what I was feeling and what I was going through, it was just so intense that having a few extra hours in the morning doing ser- during service um, was just, it was... I was really grateful for that opportunity, and I and if I hadn't opened myself to it, I wouldn't have um, received that reciprocation from Krishna. You know, we also see in the Krishna book the example of the uh, the fruit vendor coming to Krishna's house, and Krishna is like, well, "I want this fruit," and he, you know, he didn't even ask him for money; he just gave him freely whatever Krishna could take in his little hands. And when he turned to look, his entire basket was filled with jewels, right? So he wasn't thinking of, oh, let me charge this little boy, and no, you can't take, you know, these mangoes and these fruits unless you pay for them because they're so expensive, and how will I make my family ends meet? He was like, no, take, you know. He was so happy to see this little boy eating fruit, and he wasn't expecting anything in return. And yet his whole basket was filled with jewels that could probably cover him for the rest of his life, right? Another friend of mine was telling me a story about how there have been times when she had to cook for her guru and buying groceries was such a big deal because she only had a few dollars left in her account and buying the groceries would wipe out their account. And she was wondering, well, what will I do? How will I, you know, be able to eat or keep everything going, pay the bills? And she just surrendered and said, you know, my guru wants me to cook for him, and he wants to eat, and he needs to eat, so I will spend whatever money I have left and give it to him. And she found that she got so much in return. Money came in so many different ways. that She was never without. She never was homeless. She never was without food. Um, she even got, you know, somehow managed or found donations, big bags of rice and beans to help, you know, sustain her. So I think that's very interesting that we're seeing it in every day. You know, I'm sure we all have our own stories of giving when we felt a little overextended, and yet we got so much in return. Does anyone want to share? No? No one wants to share? So giving in charity is a very important principle, right? It's one that we should, we are honored to take advantage of. Yes.
Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to repeat it for Internet World. So um, Naratam Prabhu relates a story about how when the Dallas Temple was being built, you know, there was so much um, money that needed to go into this project, and they were asking for donations from a lot of the devotees and community members, and so many people had to kind of readjust their finances and maybe go without or change their meal plans for the week and... Um, give up big houses and maybe move into a smaller house. But the end result is this wonderful temple that we have and this wonderful community that we have and this you know tight-knit family-like community that we have. So we can see that Krishna reciprocated in so many ways for all the devotees that kind of gave a little bit more you know, to overextend themselves for this community. Great example. Yeah. So he goes on to point out that, you know, so many of the devotees that gave, they, they gave without realizing or, you know, knowing what was going to happen. And now there's this great community where they're receiving so much more in terms of association, in terms of um, prashadam or sanctified food. We have this wonderful restaurant. Um, you know, we have this wonderful deities and, you know, the and the food is here and available, and people have thrived. You know, their businesses may have thrived by cutting back a little. And it reciprocated in so many ways that they didn't even imagine to the point where, you know, we're more set up to uh, leave and go into the spiritual world. So we're getting a better understanding of that. And yes, you can't put a price on that. It's priceless. Exactly. So speaking of, I think, well, I didn't repeat it, but he also mentioned we have this wonderful school, um, you know, for our children to study. Um, I mentioned the restaurant. So one of my favorite charities, if you're looking for a charity to give to, is the TKG Academy, um, because it, it is the school that's associated with uh, Radha Kalachanji Dam. And... Um, it's really important because our children, the children of the devotees and of this community, are the future of Krishna consciousness, right? So I feel that that's a very important cause for us to give charity to. Um, the kids there are absolutely wonderful. I mean, when you talk to them, you're just like blown away by how intelligent they are. And they're intelligent in spiritual matters, and they're intelligent in you know, academic academics as well, and they excel because of the way that they're taught there. Um, and, you know, they, they rely on donations. So if you're not already, they do do a monthly donation, so you can sign up for that. Another um, favorite charity of mine is, is CALP, International Society for Cow Protection, because as devotees of Krishna... Cow protection is of our utmost, right? We have to protect the cows because cows are um, the pillars of religion, right? That they are the personification of religion. Um, and so ISCALP does a wonderful job of rescuing cows and bulls and training bulls and, um, you know, making sure that they're not slaughtered needlessly and they're well taken care of for the rest of their lives. So... It's another um, great charity to contribute to.
Yes. So Naratam Prabhu um, mentions another charity to donate to, uh, another cause to donate to. It's the Temple of Vedic Planetarium, the Mayapur Project. And he said, you know, um, in the last couple of years, they've pulled $2 million worldwide from this community alone, from this temple alone, and they're raising funds worldwide, and all the temples are contributing to that. And it's a major project, and um, the website has drone uh, videos of what's going on so far and how it's coming together. And I think it's supposed to be done in 2021, 22, 2022. So, um, and I think from what I understand, they're on schedule. So that's going to be a major uh, pilgrimage site, right, for I think not just devotees of Krishna, but for devotees all over the world. Um for them to see that, because it's going to be amazing. Yes, and what I found out too is um, they, they're offering even positions for teachers and, and for devotees that want to go there, but even say to just go for a week, you, you can even just now, uh, they let you get tours mm-hmm. that, that come there, and it is so oh, nice. You know, like yourself, you can go there. And take a, you know, a, a one day or an afternoon or a weekend or whatever, and actually get tours. The people who get it, they're coming. And it really charges you. He also mentions there's another way to contribute to the Temple of Vedic Planetarium is, you know, you can go for a week or two or a month, even now, and offer to give tours of the facility, of the, of the location. And, the temple, Prabhupada Samadhi. Um, so that's another way you can give is of your time. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. Thank you. 
So um, the question is, is about um, the fear that's created when we give, right? Because we do have so many obligations, so many financial bills, um, and to, to um, give sometimes feels like it's fearful. We lose our security. And um, my response is couplefold. There's, I mean, there is, you know, if we re- go back and what Sukracharya is saying to Bali Marge is absolutely true, right? He's saying that um, charity which endangers one's own livelihood is to be avoided, right? We can't endanger our own livelihood, what we're supposed to do, what our dharma is. So there is that, and there's the whole um, principle of, you know, giving within your means. Currently, I'm reading this book. Um, It's about financial management, and it's a faith-based book in in Christian faith. Um, It's a very interesting way of looking at finances and money. And there's five key principles that he talks about in there, and it's... um, Never spend more than you make. Right? That's simple. But yet we get so overextended with credit cards and we think, oh, I'll pay this off later. Never get into debt or pay it off as quickly as you can. Because right? debt is just money that's, it, you know, you have to pay off in the future. So you're taking away from your future self. Um, make good investments. I can't remember the fourth, but the fifth is, always give in charity. Um, And he says, in that book, and also when we're reading these verses, both in the Bible and in the Bhagavatam, it says, trust in God. Everything belongs to God anyway. Right? It's all his. So he can give as much as he wants, and he can take as much as he wants. And if you don't give it willingly, he's going to, take it, rip it out of your hands and cause so much more damage. Like we see this all the time, right? Um, people have to declare bankruptcy or, you know, they fail in some financial endeavor and lose thousands and thousands of dollars um, in debt. And there's no security in that. I always found that when I gave in charity, my finances flowed. And when I became a little stressed out about finances and I thought, oh, I can't afford to give this month, my finances got even tighter. Like, I said I couldn't afford to give, therefore it became true. And I said, I, I will give and the money will come, and therefore that came true. So as brahmanas, we have, we're very powerful with our words and even our thoughts, right? So we have to be very careful you say, I can't afford it. You can't afford it. It's true. Right there, you've just already made that true statement. So it's going to come true. It's also... Right? But it's also, if you separate it out, I'm possible. I am possible. Like, I contraction M, possible. So that's another way you can use the word impossible, is I'm possible. You know, when you talk about it, the the love that you feel, the participation, and also the connection to Krishna, um, you know, you advance. You feel better about yourself, you feel happier, your heart softens. You feel like you're taking shelter of Krishna. You know, you you are taking shelter of Krishna. I mean, you're taking shelter of Krishna. You're softening, opening your heart up to somebody. So it seems like uh, 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 a very, you know, just an important part of our spiritual development. So his question is, or his comment is that. Opening the heart seems like a very important part of the spiritual development. It's the whole thing of spiritual development, right? We're opening our heart. We're cleansing our heart. We're letting ourselves be free. And, you know, we're conditioned with so many of our desires and our 
um, material obligations and, you know, quest for knowledge, quest for power, quest for wealth and opulence, all these things, they, thousands and thousands of lifetimes we've been in that pursuit and we close off our heart because, you know, you got to focus on us, on me. I've got to do this and I've got to, you know. But when we open up our heart, we invite so much more in and we allow Krishna to come in. And Krishna actually starts to open our heart from the inside because he's also in our heart. So he's saying we have to come to that point of almost, you know, the bare bones, the the bottom of the barrel to kind of come to that point to see Krishna. And that's true for many of us. That's very much required. And that's why, you know, again, I don't think I read it, but in these verses, you know, Krishna or Bali Maharaj says that, or maybe I did read it, he says that, you know, people um, don't realize that you're providing everything. And they make so much endeavor, and they work really hard, and they try to hold on to it. But still, it can be taken away from them. And Krishna says, yes, sometimes I take away from people to see if they'll come to me. And sometimes we do go to be like, God, what can I do now? You know, I'm totally surrendered to you. Please help me. And we don't do that unless we're... You know, yeah, unless we're forced to. Who comes when they're happy and says, oh, my God, you know, please help me. I'm so happy. I can't handle this. Just, you know, nobody does that. But happiness is a type of misery as well, right? It keeps us entangled. But we don't see that. Yes. No, actually, Sukracharya tells him, don't worry about your reputation. It'll be fine because these are the reasons why you can get out of this promise that you made. Uh-huh. But um, Bali Maharaj says a reputation is all a man has. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Character, reputation. Right. You know, we're laughing. There's like a, it's kind of a discussion of that. Right. And that's what he's saying. So Sukracharya was, in, was advising him in terms of material benefit. And you know, Krishna within the heart of Bali Maharaj and also that the instructions that he was given by his grandfather, Prahlad Maharaj, you know, he realized that this is not right, that I have to give everything to Krishna because he was a true Vaishnav. He was a true devotee of Krishna. So he understood that even though my spiritual master is telling me to do something, I'm going to disobey it because this is actually for Krishna. Everything is his. So in that case, you know, we have to see what the spiritual master is advising us to do. And it should align with, you know, scripture and what other saints are saying. So. people, they feel like if you're judgmental, if you judge someone, like in this case, you know, a Balimarge is judging a No, I wouldn't say Balimarge is judging his instruction. It, Judging tends to have a negative quality, right? We tend to judge, and then it makes the other person feel bad. So the idea is not to judge, is to be compassionate. Very rarely. Because usually we judge in terms of negative stuff, right? We're criticizing, fault-finding. So judging is just another way of fault-finding. Yeah, I mean, you know, judging 
but they're looking at our faults. Right, but they're looking at the faults. They're looking at what's wrong and how can we correct what's wrong. So if you look at someone with the idea of correcting or doing the right thing, is it really bad? Did they ask for it? I mean, who would So sometimes people will take criticism from some people and they won't take it from other people. And so really it depends on the type of relationship that you had. And it's really important that if they ask you for it, yes, give them your thoughts. But to come up to someone and say, you know, you did this and it's not right, well, it may not make them so feel so welcome and want to come back. So judging can have a very... It's a small thing, but it can have a huge consequence because you don't know what's going on in another person's mind and what they will take from that. Whereas it's, you know, the guru knows what's in the disciple's mind, and so he can easily gauge that and engage with the disciple in the manner that will inspire them the most. Okay, so according to what you're saying, if, um, let's say, if you were to say something, I mean, sometimes they can do that, or they may just get upset and leave, right? So you're saying it's a, yeah. now. So in place of that, would you you're, you're advocating better to just like, encourage them? Encourage them. Focus on what they're doing right. Or, or, or talk about how Christian consciousness is better. Exactly. You know, even if you were wrong, at least if I hear about what Christian is wonderful and the process works, then. Then I take it up. Then I may give up my bed. Exactly. I and mean, we see examples of, you know, so many faults in a devotee, and yet at the time of death, Krishna was all that mattered. And we know that they went back to the spiritual kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right, so we all we can see what's really in the heart is the service. Yes, Jason. <laughs> so the question is, does the guru know what's in the disciple's heart because the, the disciple tells him, or he just knows what's in the heart? A little combination of both, I think. I'm not a guru, so I can't speak to that effect. But, you know, from what I understand and what I read, it's, it's that they know. Like, when I think of my interaction with my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, I, you know, every time he would always just speak, and I would be like, oh, my God, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Even now, right? I have some question that I'm like mulling over in my head and I can't get an answer and I'm so like distraught about it. And I listen to a lecture and that lecture happens to address that problem head on. Like there's no doubt about it that he's speaking directly to me. Um, you know, coincidence maybe, but we know that it's directed. I was listening to that lecture for a reason. I mean, I, I think we all have someone in our lives that know us better than we know ourselves. And, like, usually they say you can fool most of the pers- people all of the time, all of the people most of the time, but you can never fool your mom. I think there's some kind of saying like that, right? So, you're, you know, there is a person that knows us kind of better than we know ourselves. But it's getting late, and I'm sure everybody's excited to break their ecodacy fast and feast for Vamande's Appearance Day. So, Hare Krishna, Dharantara, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki. Thank you.